0: Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Chuck Walkendorfer joining us. Chuck is president of distribution and an executive coach at think 2 Perform prominent leadership coaching, consulting, and business development services firm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right up the river from me here in La Crosse, Wisconsin.
1: Not too far away. I'm actually in Denver, but our headquarters are in Minneapolis. They try to get me to move to Minneapolis, but it's too cold and too snowy.
0: Oh, come on, Chuck. It, it's, it's all right. Uh, so today, we'll be tapping into Chuck's experience as an executive coach and financial services professional, We'll also be exploring the insights from his new book, Don't Wait for Someone Else
1: to Fix It. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Andy, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Chuck, before we get started, we always do this on every show. Please tell our listeners your story.
1: So my story, uh, grew up as the oldest in a family of uh, five, actually five kids. We lost my youngest brother when he was about three months old from SIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my leadership expectations started early as the oldest in my family, I was expected to lead by example. My parents were very generous and supportive and got us involved in many, many different activities, sports, music, scouts. And we were expected to really perform at our best. Um, not, not unlike a lot of families, I'm sure, uh, that led to like leadership roles in school, leadership roles in scouts. and. Uh, just that continued through college. Um, certainly I had some setbacks. You, one of your questions is going to be about my own little, uh, accelerant in my career. I cut out of college with a mechanical engineering degree and realized very quickly that engineering was not for me. I happened to be good at math. I loved, uh, I wanted to get, have a job out of college. And so I got an engineering degree, got me, got that job, but realized it was not for me, left engineering after about two or three years. To take a role as a financial advisor which i knew nothing about right uh, i was a 100 commission job uh, i didn't know anything about investing i didn't know anything about um, stock market so it was a pretty steep learning curve which someone will talk about here today uh, that led to me taking on more leadership roles it was at american express i was there for 17 years and ran regions of their financial services for them i was kind of a turnaround guy so i would go into the most screwed up places in the company And turn them around, help them perform better. I found myself at about 40 years old, uh, wanting to kind of advance the learning in my career. So America Express sent me to Harvard to get my executive MBA. Um, And I'm about 41, 42 years old. I had plenty of money. I didn't want my boss's job. I didn't want to raise my kids in the city that I was living in. And so I decided to take a couple of years off and just ski and travel with my wife and kids When we were all younger, which we did, we sold our house, sold our, all my suits, my furniture, my cars, and lived out of our condo in Vail, Colorado. (laughs) And, um, and then Think to Perform, the firm that I'm with now was, was starting. And I had known the CEO, our CEO, my co-author, Doug Lenick for a long time. I'd always learned a lot from him, enjoyed working with him. And so I decided in 2004 to join Think to Perform, which was exactly 19 years ago. And that's really kind of given me a chance to grow and impact a broader level of people with the things that I've learned, advanced my own learning. I worked in real estate, technology, banking, financial services, restaurants, retail. I've worked in the United States, Canada, Europe, Malaysia. So it's really, you know, one of my values is, is to do meaningful work. And we'll talk about values today. Meaningful work yeah. means that what I do has an impact on other people. But it also means that it has interest and in meaning to me, and so that's kind of guided my decision making.
0: Yeah, well, we're kindred spirits in that regard. And the uh, just FYI, the path from engineering to finance is actually a very well worn, uh, a very well worn path, uh, folks. I know many people that have figured out. Gosh, I don't want to be an engineer, uh, but. Many things that I've learned there translate uh, into. Are the, you an engineer as well? Uh, no, I'm not. But I've. You're uh, just but saying I you've seen others
1: do the same thing. I, yeah. I've, I've
0: seen I've seen many others, especially on the yeah. technical end of uh, of finance, finance professor, uh, analyst, that kind of thing. Well, like um, law
1: school, it's you know it's, it teaches you a problem solving methodology and a structure and a way of thinking that I yeah. think can apply to many different parts of your life and businesses.
0: Right. So, so Chuck, uh, let's ask that accelerant uh, question. We asked this question uh, of every guest. What was the thing that just put rocket boosters behind your career?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I smiled when I, I read the question because I remember vividly where I was in the moment in time. And I was probably 20, for 25 years old, I would have maybe just turned 25. I had been a financial advisor for America express for less than a year. as I mentioned, it was a hundred percent commission job. Uh, and then I had to pay my office rent. So mm-hmm. I walked away from a well-paying engineering job. My dad thought I was crazy well-paying engineering job to take a hundred percent commission position in something I didn't know anything about. And I had to pay my, for my office. So at one point in uh, in my first year, I remember laying on my bed, looking at my ceiling, and thinking to myself, I had no money, no credit, no food, and I was thinking about quitting my job. Like, this isn't working too well for me. But then I thought to myself, well, then I'll have no money, no food, no credit, and no job. That's probably not a good idea. And I started thinking about people in my office. And they were doing well, like they were making the kind of money I wanted to make. So what I came, the realization I came to is it's, it's not the job. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's how I'm spending my time. Maybe I need to be doing some things differently. And it was once I embraced that, that I started looking at, you know, it's like the self-awareness of like, you know, to, you know, what I'm doing is not working but i have to change my behavior in order to get different results that was the tipping point for me because once i realized you know I took responsibility for my the results i was getting in my life it changed how i how i was spending my time what i was doing and so that really has been kind of a profound as you can tell impact on my life cuz usually what happens is If, you know, if if I'm not getting the results, and of course, you know, as your life changes and you get older, you have, we have new challenges, right? So I'm always like checking back in with myself to say, is what I'm doing working? Because it's the definition of insanity. I keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. I wish I'd like it if other people change their behavior. So my life could be better, but that's not the way life works. Right. Right. It's like I have to change my behavior. And it's what we talk about in the leadership logic chain in the book. You know, leadership logic chain is if I want to be more effective with other people, if I want to have better relationships with others, it begins with me managing my own behavior. Managing my own behavior involves me making better choices. Making better choices is grounded in self-awareness. Yeah. So it's almost counterintuitive that for me to build a great relationship with you, the person I have to pay the most attention to is me.
0: Yep. Yep. Wow. Chuck, to be 25 years old and to be staring at the ceiling <laughs> and to ask the question, gosh, could it be me? Uh, th- that is a very rare. Uh, that's a very rare thing. And I, I, I'm just, I'm thrilled that we're, I'm I'm aging myself here, but putting this down on tape because uh because more people need to hear that uh that exact same that exact
1: message. Uh so yeah. yeah. Self-awareness is really key. It's one of the things we talk about in the book. We talk about uh, you know, being your real self. Yeah. Your real self is what am I thinking, what am I feeling, what am I doing? And a lot of times, you know, all of us, by the way, you know, lack self-awareness throughout the day. We'll be reading something and, you know, read 10 pages and realize we have no idea what we just read. That's us not paying attention to ourselves. Or we're in a conversation and you realize, you know, five minutes has gone by and I have no idea what you've been talking about. Yeah. That's what we, we mentally check out. Athletes talk about being in the zone. Being in the zone is being physically, mentally, and emotionally present. And so... We can practice self-awareness. We talk about it. We call an exercise called the freeze exercise. It's, you know, momentarily, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? What am I doing? And if I notice I'm not paying attention, well, then I can choose to pay attention or go do something else. But um, it's a a practice that becomes permanent. I, I guarantee if you play the freeze five or six times a day for the rest of your life, it'll improve your decision making
0: yeah yeah I, I I think of that um, in, in my first book uh, we introduced the the concept from the the horse world called the half-halt and it's a it's, it's it's very similar it's a very subtle move it's just a corrective uh, move uh, when when you're on a horse you just kind of sit back recenter refocus but to the you know, to people watching, they can't tell that you've that you've actually done that, uh, done that move. But it, it then helps you get to move forward to to the next move uh, with with ease. Uh, and so, translating that uh, into the world of business and just in into into your personal life and taking that half halt, taking that pause, taking that freeze. Uh, that snapshot and checking in, Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Let's move on and talk about balancing acts. I want to tap into your experience with corporate executive teams here. If you had to choose the most important balancing act that members of the C-suite play generally, what would that be?
1: Yeah, and and I think you're asking specifically about how they work together in the C-suite.
0: Yeah, yeah. How how folks, uh, you know, how, how we get the optimal results when you've got egos kind of sparring with one another and uh, and sometimes competing objectives. Uh, how how do we how do we balance all of that in the C suite? How do we end up putting all fists in the middle and saying, okay, ready, go, and we're aligned?
1: Yeah, I, I had a similar conversation with one of my clients yesterday he's a very senior executive like second in charge at a, a very large bank here in the United States and i think a lot of executives not not all but a lot of executives are promoted because they get stuff because they they get stuff done yeah and when you get to a c suite level it's it's not just about getting stuff done it's about getting stuff done and working through other people so relationships matter yeah. Like so. The so the executive I was talking to yesterday, his organization is about seven thousand people. He's only going to get results if he's able to influence people. It's not going to be on his personal contribution. And I think that's a shift that whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur or a senior executive, learning how to work through others is a relationship based skill. It's about how do I build a relationship so that I can influence other people's behavior back to what we're saying with the leadership logic chain. You know, we have what's called this goal achievement triangle. So your listeners can you know, draw a triangle on a piece of paper and on one corner, you have goals on the second corner. You have tasks on the third corner, you have relationships. So to achieve my goals, I got to get stuff done. Those are tasks, but I also need the help of other people. Those are relationships. And what matters when the going gets tough are relationships, not tasks. I'm not saying tasks don't matter, but it's the help and the relationships we have with other people that will enable us to achieve our goals. So the question I always ask business owners is, what's your best source of a new customer or a new client? It's a referral. A referral is a relationship-based activity. You could spend more money on advertising or you can generate more referrals from your customers and your clients. Everybody knows a referral is a more effective new client than something coming from advertising. And so that's true about your employees and your staff and your team. You know, Stephen M. R. Covey is has endorsed the book. He wrote a book himself called The Speed of Trust. Yeah. And one of his quotes is where high trust exists, things move faster and are cheaper. So, where you and I have a good trusting relationship, you're not second guessing my motives. You're not spending time wondering. Well, I wonder where Chuck's really going with this. What's yeah. he really going for? Because we trust each other, and so we move through that pretty quickly. And that I think, where senior executives, it, you know, they they have individual individual contributors. They've been very strong at that. But now it's about working through other people. That's the balancing act.
0: Yeah, you, you just really pointed out. Uh one one of the uh, i in my next book i've got the 10 wastes and i introduce uh, everybody to the concept of emotional waste so if you and i don't trust each other and i'm always questioning your motives and you're doing the same uh, with me not only uh, is that painful for both of us uh As individuals, it's also painful for the business and much uh, less stuff gets done uh, as a result. And those are direct wastes uh, that can be measured to the business. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, uh, Chuck, before we break for a commercial, a necessary commercial, I just want to ask a really quick question because we'll have some financial advisors listening to the show because you're on. Sure. Um, Take us back to your experience as a financial advisor and like in one minute, what's the key balancing act that a financial advisor is playing day in, day out?
1: Great question. The Balancing Act is really about uh, helping clients make good decisions with their money. You know, we, it's it's a, a theme throughout our work and throughout our book. You know, we have a chapter on deciding wisely. Emotions—we're hardwired to be emotionally reflexive, and our emotions tend to sacrifice accuracy for speed. So, so they want us to respond very quickly and are usually wrong. Well, there's no more. No, no more area that's true than when it comes to your money. People get very emotional with their money. And as a financial advisor, a lot of times what we see is the emphasis is on the math. Well, here's what you should do, Andy. This is this is you know, logically what makes sense. But if you're emotional because the market dropped or something else happened in your life, it's actually impossible for us to think logically when we're emotional. So great financial advisors help clients Recognize that emotion. They know how to calm, help them calm down, so that when they're calmer, they can think more clearly and make great choices with their money. It's this field called behavioral finance. So behavioral finance is all about how emotions impact people's decision making with their money, and you can get better at that. That's the balancing act. It's it's the knowledge and experience of of investments and the stock market and the economy. But really, what it comes down to is, can I help you, my client? Manage your emotions to make great choices. Bingo. Awesome.
0: You know, this is one of the key reasons why I asked you on the show was to, you know, bring that to the bring that uh, concept of behavioral finance to the fore. When I was in graduate school at the University of Iowa in the early 1990s, behavioral finance was just in its uh, in its infancy. Right. And a lot of us thought, oh, this, what what a bunch of garbage, Uh, you know, it's all about, it's all about the numbers and nothing could be further from the truth. Thank you so much uh, for that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we get back, we're going to talk to Chuck about his uh, new book, Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. Visit andrewtempty.com purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back with Chuck Wachendorfer. Chuck, let's turn our attention to your new book, Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It, co-authored with Think to Perform co-founder Doug Lenick. In the sea of business books, what's the primary niche that your book occupies? In other words, why should our listeners crush the buy button on Amazon right
1: now? It's a toolkit, Andy a toolkit to improve decision-making in, in your own life and in your business. So, um, what you can know about performance in any area of life, I don't care what you do for a living, where you live, color of your skin, male or female performance in any area of life is a function of three things. It's a function of talent. So talent being things that we're always good at and can never remember learning. So it might've been had a talent for music or sports or math yeah. or whatever. Part number two are skills. Skills are things we develop over our lifetime. So I may have a talent for music, and I developed a skill to play the piano. And the third part is decision-making. So it's talent plus skills plus decision-making equals performance. And of the three, decision-making has twice the impact on performance than talent and skill combined. I'm not saying talent and skill don't matter. Yeah. They just don't matter as much as decision-making. And we make about thirty five thousand decisions a day. Most of them we don't wow. think about. So right. how I take my coffee in the morning, brushing our teeth, getting dressed, those are all choices we make. And we don't have to make all thirty five thousand better. But if we made one or two better choices a day, you're talking about five, six, seven hundred better decisions a year. And if you've ever been to any kind of reunion, family reunion, school reunion, I don't care. I, I mean I had this this happened to me. few years ago, I went to my 40th high school reunion where you walk in the ballroom and you are, you know, filled with all your old friends and your family, maybe. And somebody spots you from across the room and they go, hey, Andy, how are you, man? And Uh, you have no idea who this guy is. And then you go, oh, that's Chuck. And the very next thought that pops into your mind is what the hell happened to that guy? (laughs) Right. We've all had that experience. Unfortunately, we were all doing the same thing at the same point in time, yeah. having fun, playing sports, whatever it was, going to school, and 35,000 decisions a day over five, 10, 15, in my case, 40 years of your life, takes your lives in very different directions. Those of us who are parents know that. You, When your kids are walking out the door, especially if they're teenagers, what do you yell to them as they are walking out the door? Make great decisions. I mean, so decision-making is important, in life and in, and in business, and unlike our IQ, which we can't improve, we can't get any smarter, we can with practice and focus and effort become better decision makers. And so one of the things we teach in the book is how to improve decision making. Yeah. And so there's this, this process that you, if you practice, it will, I guarantee you, help you make better choices. Now, part of the human condition is none of us is perfect. We're going to make mistakes but it'll, it'll, it'll decrease the odds that we make a mistake. And if we do make a mistake, it'll enable us to correct it a little faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's just wonderful. So you have the decision-making construct. Uh, let's drill down into chapter six, uh, because this is one that's just near and dear to my heart. Uh, embrace the, the, the chapter name is embrace empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. Now you, you, you're a finance professional and you come from an engineering background. So you're, you're a numbers guy. You're, you're a technical guy at, at your core, just, just like I am. Uh, And so if you've got, uh, you know, somebody sitting right in front of you right now uh, wondering about the return on investment for focusing on building the skill of compassion what do you, what do you tell that numbers oriented person about building
1: uh building those soft skills fantastic question something it took me a long time to realize in my own career me too. so you know i talked about the, uh, the, we were talking about the c suite earlier in our conversation and i have to be able to work through other people to get results right to get to help them to help get better results in our business somebody's got to change their behavior right? I don't get different results in my life or my business by doing the same thing over and over and over. I mean, I, I, I can do it more, I guess, but I still have to change that behavior. I got to do it more frequently. Sometimes it involves me doing new behavior. As a leader, if we're not empathetic, and let's be clear about what empathy, empathy is not sympathy. Sympathy is I feel what you feel. Empathy is I recognize what you feel. So empathy can be as simple as, Andy, you look concerned. Andy, you sound excited. Andy, you, you know, look confused. And so empathy is about recognizing how somebody's feeling. Why is that important? Because everybody from time to time gets stuck emotionally. Yeah. Like I don't understand something. I don't understand what's in it for me. I have something going on outside my role at, at the office that's affecting me, a health issue. I got in a car accident, something that's got me preoccupied and distracted. If a leader is not empathetic, they can't help people get unstuck. You know, you were asking me about my own personal journey earlier. My dad has a master's degree in mechanical engineering, right? He was an aerospace engineer. He's now 90. Uh, he used to walk around in our house saying emotions were stupid. <laughs> because all that mattered to him was math. Right. And so that's how I grew up. And that worked for me for a while until I started leading people. And then I realized, well, somebody's stuck, but I don't really know how to help them. So empathy leads to compassion. Compassion is, if I if I understand that you're upset about something, you're confused about something, then it engages my ability to be compassionate. I can say, okay, let's talk about how we want to deal with what you've got going on, Andy. But I can help you get unstuck. But empathy, we used to think about them as separate. But empathy leads to compassion. It enables me, if I recognize how somebody's feeling, it enables me to then act and help them get unstuck.
0: Yeah. Yeah, th- thank you for that. Our uh, our definitions of both empathy and compassion are, are 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 very much aligned. When when you look out in the sea of all the definitions of how people think about those two things, you get these wildly different uh, uh, perspectives. And you know, compassion this uh, this the, the willingness to do something about it. Uh,
1: Com- compassion is empathy and action. That's what we like yeah. to say.
0: Yeah, that that's that that's an awesome awesome way to capture it. Now, uh, in the few minutes we have left. I got I got two more uh, quick questions, sure. and we'll have to we'll have to blast through them pretty quick. But in chapter ten, you talk about empowering others. But yes. as we climb the leadership ladder, you know the ego tends to get a little bigger, and a lot of leaders struggle with the uh, ability to empower others. When yes. at the same time they're thinking about well, what about me? I'm, I'm the leader. I'm supposed to be enriching myself. So what's your advice, uh, for leaders to calm the ego and focus on the success of those around
1: them? Excellent question. You know, it gets back to, you know, in order for me to get results as a leader, I am reliant on other people getting stuff done. So I have to work through people. What most leaders want, whether it's in business, in your community, in a nonprofit, is they want their people to be engaged, right? You talk about employee engagement, people yep. engagement. In order to engage people, they have to see that they can, by, by helping the firm or the organization, they can not only help the organization, but, the, but that also helps them. Most people want to be better at their jobs than their company needs them to be, so most people don't take a job and go, "Hey Andy, I'd like to work for you, but I just want to be average." <laughs> most people want to be better at their jobs than their company needs to be. The problem is nobody ever asks. So, what we talk about in, in empowering others is if I can understand what you want for yourself. We talk about this acronym: what do you, you know, W D Y W F Y? Woofy, We call it if I understand what you want for yourself and I can connect it to what the organization wants for itself, that's where engagement occurs. It's like, Oh, okay. This is not just helping Chuck. This is actually going to help me get what I want for myself and for my family. Yeah. And a lot of times that connection is not made. What usually happens in most organizations is we get a goal we divide the goal up amongst the different business units. The business units divided up amongst the different regions. And then I hand you your goal. I say, go get them, Tiger. Go get it, Andy. It's all yours. You know, you're going to get a big bonus. But if I can really spend some time and say, Andy, where, are you, where do you want to go with your career at this firm? Where Ultimately, where do you want to be someday? Now, instead of me holding you accountable... I become a resource to help you get what you want for yourself, which also helps me and the organization win. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So, Chuck, final question. Sure. You have access to a time machine. You can send a message to an earlier version of yourself. What is that 240-character message, and what previous version of yourself do you send it to?
1: I, You know, that's one of the best questions that I've ever been asked. Uh, what i would tell my younger self is you're going to get there <laughs> it it's it, it's it's a marathon not a sprint
0: yeah
1: and i know for a long time through my 20s and 30s i was 6 days a week you know 60 hours a week um for probably at least 11 years in many ways that helped me advance my career but it also found me kind of myopic in my interest, right? And so I think having more balance in my own life and having more patience, you know, it's, somebody told me years ago that life is a dance between the sense of urgency and patience and wisdom is knowing who leads the dance. And I tended to lead, that what led my dance earlier in my life was a sense of urgency. And I think I, I, what I've learned is there's also a lot more value in patience. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, that sense of urgency drove my uh, early career as well. And there were more forced errors uh, than necessary as a result. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, I'm so appreciative that you joined us on the show today. I am certain our listeners uh, extracted a lot of value uh, from the, the Thank nugget, you, Andy. From the Nuggets. It means a lot. I know, you, I
1: know you have a great show and I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, so my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, share. Most importantly, keep growing. Have a great day.